thankful, God, for, for who you are, God. We're overwhelmed by the fact that, that you're beautiful, Lord. And, and God, the thing that, that we appreciate most about you, God, is, is your love for us. Your deep love, God, and affection for us that was shown to us at the cross. Lord, that God, through the cross and through the power of, of your blood, Lord, that we stand here and we praise you, God, as redeemed people, forgiven of our sins, Lord, set free, God, from the law of sin and death and free, God, to enjoy eternal life, this eternal life, God, that lasts, starts now, God, and that lasts forever. God, we're overwhelmed by your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord. God, we're thankful, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that your word is the word of truth. It it's, continues to be relevant. It continues to be the thing that defines our lives, God. It defines culture. It defines who we are, God, in every way, God. Your word is powerful. It's effective. And it has the power, God, to change our lives, change the way we think, change the way we behave, and change the way that we believe, God. And so I pray, Father, that as we proclaim the word of God this morning, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, God, would do the work in the hearts of your people here this morning, God, because we love you, God. There's no one like you. You are so different, God, than us. And so we worship you, and, and we love you, God. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, children, you guys are dismissed. A great exodus, if you will. If you have your Bibles this morning, um, take out your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18 this morning. And kind of to kick things off, I want to just share a, a story. How many of you guys, how many of you um, know Dave Dravecki? Anybody know a guy named Dave Dravecki? You're kind of looking puzzled, Drew. I know the name. You know the name. He is a baseball player. Excellent. You guys remember Dave Dravecki now? Oh, wow. This illustration is going to be wasted on you. Let me just share who Dave Dravecki is. So D Dave Dravecki was a remarkable pitcher for the San Diego Padres and the San Francisco Giants baseball teams. Is it ringing, ringing a bell at all? Not, not really. <laughs> baseball, Padres, do those things... Do those things go together? Oh, okay. He wasn't a Yankee. All right, we're gonna, let's keep moving with the illustration here. You guys are unruly, undisciplined. Listen to what I'm saying, okay? All right, so maybe this will jog your memory. Remember his pitching arm, right? All of a sudden, he's pitching, and his arm develops soreness, you know? And so there's medical tests that are done, and they identify the problem as cancer. Get, we getting there? Coming up to speed? You know, and so he has surgery, and, and, he, and it seems like he's on the path towards rehabilitation, right? And, and after pitching, working his way back up through the minor leagues, he makes his major league appearance in Montreal, and what happens? He's, he throws out a pitch, and his arm snaps. Remember it? Okay. So his, oh, he was left-handed, sorry. <laughs> Good job, Monty. I knew someone knows this guy. We should have Monty share this illustration. And the fact is, is that the cancer hadn't gone away. And in order to save his life, they had to take his arm. Um, 
Now, the, the cool thing about Dave Dravecki is that he was a committed believer. And so he didn't take this setback as this opportunity to kind of wallow in self-pity. Like, he didn't ask the question, like, woe is me. Why did this happen to me? In fact, here's a quote. There's no struggle about feeling sorry for myself. The question's not, why me, God? The, the question is, what is your plan for me? And then he says this. I see this as God giving me the opportunity to share the gospel with a whole lot of people. And so Dave, you know, he's seen God open doors in his life, and I don't know if he's still speaking or not, but he spoke, he wrote a book, and he saw God use his, this situation that happened into his life to further the gospel. People were willing to come and hear his, his testimony and hear about the grace of God, and many people came to faith in Christ because of what happened to Dave Dravecki. And I wonder, the question this morning for you is this, when circumstances like these things happen in our lives, how do we respond? When, uncertain, when things that you don't expect to happen, things aren't happening the way that you think that they should happen in your life, how do you respond? Do you respond with self-pity? Like, woe is me? Do you ask the question, now, why is this happening to me, God? Or do we see it as an opportunity to, to, step, to demonstrate the sufficiency of God's grace in our lives? Possibly even seeing what's happening to you as an opportunity to glorify God and to advance the kingdom of God and actually testify and share about the grace of, of Jesus Christ and advance the gospel. Paul is in this situation here. He's in prison, right? And Paul isn't saying to himself, hey, this isn't fair. He's not, he's not asking the question, God, why is this happening to me? You know, maybe you're, you're stuck in the same job that you don't even like it. And you've been in this job for a long time. You're like, God, why is this happening to me? Why can't I find other work? Maybe you're single here this morning and, you're, and you've been single for a long time and you're going, well, God, why can't I find a spouse? Or maybe you're here this morning and, and the difficulty is, you know, why, why am I not having a child? Why am I not conceiving? And my prayer this morning is that as we look at this text, Paul is going to give us a new perspective on things that happen in our lives. Paul reveals to us how adversity can actually lead to an opportunity. Now, I think we need to, before we hit the text, we need to go back and just look at the last five years of Paul's life before he writes this. Things did not go according to plan for Paul. Let me just tell you that you think your circumstances might, not, might be bad. Listen to this. Paul, so, so Paul's excited. He's, he's shared the gospel with a lot of people. A lot of people have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, including this Philippian church. Lydia, the jailer, people are coming to Christ because Paul is faithful to preach the gospel. Well, Paul's going to go back and he's going to report to Jerusalem. He's like, man, he's excited about what God's doing to, for the Gentiles. And he meets some people along the way and they're saying, hey, don't go back to Jerusalem. You go back there, it's going to be disaster for you. Well, Paul's a little stubborn. Um, so there is a bit of this that he does to himself. 
But he's warned not to go back. But, and so he gets to Jerusalem. He follows all the law because one of the reasons they say don't go back there is because they're accusing Paul of preaching a different gospel and, and downplaying the law. And so Paul gets there. He goes through all of the purification rites. He declares to the people that, hey, the, this is the seven days. He walks into the temple to worship the Lord. And what happens? A bunch of other people come in and, and stir, up, stir up trouble against him. These Asian, these Asian uh, Judaizers. They come in and they say, hey, isn't this the guy that, that brought this Egyptian into church? You know, we can't have Gentiles in the temple. And the fact is, is that he was just walking with an, Egyp uh, an Egyptian out in Jerusalem. And so there's false accusations that are being played against him. And pretty soon, the whole city of Jerusalem is on Paul. I mean, they're all coming into the temple. They drag Paul out of the temple, and it says that the temple doors were shut. This is Acts 21. The temple doors were shut, and they just went to town on Paul. Their, their intention was to kill him. They were going to beat him to a pulp, beat him to death. We need to stop this message of the gospel that doesn't line up with the way that we believe. Here's a guy worshiping the Lord in the temple, drug out and beaten, falsely accused. You know what? He has a lot of reasons to say, why me? Why is this happening to me, God? Well, it gets better. I mean, his story gets worse, you know? So the Romans are like, whoa, we can't have Jerusalem up in, a, in an uproar. The, the Romans come in with their commanders. They snatch Paul out of the crowd before he's beaten to death. They take him back to the prison barracks. And they want to know what's going on. And so now they have him stretched out. And they're ready to beat him to get the truth out of him. Fortunately, Paul plays the, the Roman citizen card. Hey, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen? Whoa, guys, we better back off here. You know, we can't do this. And so meanwhile, the Jews are plotting. Forty men are dedicated to kill Paul when he's being transferred as a prisoner. So they're all waiting outside of the barracks to kill him. And ultimately, Paul's like, we got to get out of here. And so Paul gets deported to the coastal city of Caesarea, where he appears before Felix. Felix is kind of a, well, he's corrupt. He's a corrupt governor, if you could imagine that, you know. Um, most of them aren't, but just maybe just, just Felix. Um, but for, for two years... He's sitting there waiting. He's waiting for a trial with this guy. And Felix is just waiting and kind of waiting for a bribe. So Paul sits there. Felix moves on. They move him out. And a new governor's put in place. The new governor's like, why are you sitting here? Let's get this taken care of. Why don't you go back to Jerusalem and answer your accusers? Paul realizes, man, if I go back to Jerusalem, you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be killed. And so Paul then says, you know what, I want to appeal my, my case to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, I have a right to appeal my case to Caesar. And so they put Paul on a ship, and he's headed to Rome. What happens next? You remember? Shipwrecked. So here's Paul, headed to Rome, storm comes up, shipwrecked. Now, during this, the, the guards are like, what should we do with the prisoners? We should kill all of them, Right? Only because of Paul's sake, they're like, no, let's not. 
You know, these Roman guards were actually advocating for Paul. Let's not do that. So Paul ends up in Rome awaiting trial. He's chained to a guard in a prison 24-7 while he's awaiting this trial. He's chained for two years under house arrest while waiting. Now Paul, his heart is to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He says it over and over in his letters. I can't wait to get to Rome to have this opportunity to speak the gospel. But that's not the way that Paul intended to get there. And so Paul looks back. He looks back over the last five years of his life. He's been beaten by a mob. He's been imprisoned unjustly. He's been shipwrecked. He's been chained around the clock. And guess what? His concern isn't, hey, is this fair? His concern is, is it accomplishing anything for God? Is what's happening to me being useful to God in some way? Is it furthering God's purposes in the world? Wow, what an amazing response to difficult circumstances. Do, do we have the heart, do you have the heart to respond that way when things happen in your life? Is that the way that you respond to adversity? Do we respond like, okay, God, what are you doing rather than why are you doing this to me? Do you ask the question of what? What is your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish? And so Paul responds here in Philippians chapter 1, um, in verse 12, and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, listen to this, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Wow. I want you to know that all this stuff that I just went through in the last five years, it really has served to advance the gospel. It's an interesting word there when he used the words has served to advance the gospel. It's this idea of furtherment. It's this idea of to, to cut before. It was used, it's an, it's an army term that's used as, as a pioneer woodcutters would proceed into the forest so that the army could get from point A to point B. These were the people that would cut the trees down, cut through the impenetrable forest, so making it possible for troops to advance into new regions. Paul says, these things that have happened to me, it's just like, just like advancing through a forest. These things have advanced the way for the gospel. They've served to advance it. You know, when we look at our own suffering, and things that happen to us, um, not all suffering is, is, is to further the gospel. Um, James Boyce, Boyce in his commentary says that there, there are times when our suffering is corrective. <laughs> I mean, there's times when God uses suffering in your life to get your attention, to get you on the right path because you're, you're headed in the wrong direction. Sometimes that happens. In, in fact, it happens a lot, to be honest. Um, there are times when our suffering is instructive. Um, its intention is to, it's to help us to awaken to the needs and feelings of other people. Um, it serves to mold us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? God doesn't promise us that everything's going to be wonderful and rosy in this Christian life? 
He doesn't promise us prosperity like some people do. We'll get to them later in this text, but there are times when suffering is what brings about the character that we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And maybe you're suffering now, and you need to be asking God the question, what are you doing, God? What do you want to accomplish through this? But there are times, as in Paul's case, in Paul's situation, where this suffering is allowed by God so that the gospel can spread to others. And Paul says here, now I want you to know that what's happened to me, brothers, it's happened. This is the reason. I've asked God. It's happened to advance the gospel here in Rome. And then he shares here and he says, you know what? It's advancing the gospel in two ways. Look at this in verse, six, verse 13. He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the, the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Right? Is that the way that we think about it when things happen in our lives? Do we look at circumstances? Do we think eternally like that? Paul says, influential people are being one to the Lord because I'm sitting here chained to these guards. The whole palace guard. <laughs> Guys, the whole palace guard's hearing the gospel. It's amazing. I get to sit four feet away from this guy. Every six hours, they change a guard. I have a captive audience. Who's in chains here? Wow, that's a glass half full kind of guy. He doesn't see it that way. He's like the whole palace guard. Think about who these people are that Paul is chained to who's imprisoned. It's the idea, this palace guard is the idea of the praetorian guard. These are people. It's not a place. It's people that are being influenced. They're learning about Jesus. These are hand-picked specialized military men, the highest level of, milita of the military is being influenced for Jesus Christ. These are Caesar's bodyguards. They're intelligent, they're sophisticated, they're strong, they're courageous. These men serve for 12 years and then they advance into society, into other influential roles. Some become leaders of military. Some become leaders in government. They become senators. Some become business owners. These are the movers and shakers of Rome that Paul, that Paul is chained to. Powerful, strategic, only God could have thought to do this. Paul would have never thought, hey, this is how I'm going to share the gospel. And yet, here's Paul, four feet away, 24-7, think about it. <laughs> you got to talk about something, don't you? Paul writes in his, in his letters, he says, you know what, I pray continuously for you. Do you think these guys are listening to Paul pray? Absolutely. These folks are being influenced by Paul and they're seeing his passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going, you know what? There's something about this guy. This is real. Something is going on with this guy. And so Paul's response to adversity is that, you know what? Influential people are hearing the gospel. The whole palace guard. Imagine the personal conversation that Paul's asking. 
Paul, Paul might be asking about their families. Hey, how's your wife? Or how's your child that's sick? Hey, could, could we pray right now for your child? What would happen when, when that child would get well? And they're hearing Paul pray to his God, to our God. Paul sees his chains <laughs> as a chain reaction, right? There's something happening here. Is it possible that what happens to us that seems unfair in our own lives might actually be God's way of accomplishing something for himself? You ever see that happen? You know, not only does Paul see his chains having an impact as he personally witnesses to the Roman guard, but Paul also sees that his chains are causing other pastors, other people, other people to influence people for the gospel. Look at verse 14. He says this, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Wow. Christians were moving from fear to boldness as a result of Paul's example. They're learning to testify. They're learning to stand up for God. And you got to remember that at the time, Rome is skeptical about Christianity. People are looking at, they're looking at Christianity. Caesar's researching this. He's going, what is, what is it about these people? There's a reason that the Roman commanders come when the Jews come after Paul. They're very skeptical. They don't necessarily like the Jews. Jews are being deported from Rome. There's a reason for fear. But as they hear what's happening to the palace guard, as they hear Paul say, you know what, people are coming to faith in Christ. As they go to visit Paul while he's in his chains, and Paul tells them the stories of these guards that are coming to faith in the Lord, it causes some courage. The rest of the church is, is rising up. It's creating a chain reaction for the gospel, and people are getting saved. People are becoming more bold, holding more public meetings, and they're taking a stand for godliness. If you really think about it and you look at church history, what happens to Rome in the third century? Christianity becomes right, wrong, or indifferent for right motives or not. Even Paul's going to address that. It becomes the state religion. Who's driving Christianity in this culture? I'm almost confident that it's this Praetorian Guard. It's these people that hear Paul, hear his passion, hear his authenticity, hear that he really believes that Christ rose from the dead. Those are the people that are going and they're telling other people. And by the third century, we see the church just taking off. Now, we won't get into their motives for it, but it's taking off. Have you ever, has your life ever had that effect on other Christians? Do you live with that kind of effectiveness, that kind of heart for God, the gospel? When we're strong and courageous, it has an effect on other people, folks. Paul's suffering isn't just for himself. It's not for himself to just wallow in. God used Paul's response 
to affect other believers and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't even have to tell you this, that we are living in a culture that is rapidly moving away from God to a place where, you know what, our chains might look a little bit different, but nonetheless, there are chains. We're moving in our culture toward a place where Christianity is no longer dominant, it's no longer popular. And you know what happens to us a lot of the times? We shrink in fear. We're like, you know what? I just want to blend in. Tell me that doesn't happen. Tell me it doesn't happen in our school systems. Students. Where you're like, you know what? I don't want to be bold. Because I know what happens when I have a bold witness for Christ. I just want to blend in. In the workplace. <laughs> Golly. There's rules written against standing up for some things. That, that we would teach and hold to as Christians. Like, you can't talk about that in the workplace. You don't get to say that. In the name of diversity and inclusion. Paul doesn't care. <laughs> Paul's going to say next week when we look at the message, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I really don't care. My, my eyes are focused on eternity. I'm thinking eternally. I could care less what happens to my body. They can have my body because, you know what, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul echoes, sorry, I'm getting to the message for next week, but Paul echoes this response of, hey, what can man do to me from the Old Testament? Really? Has your life ever had that effect on other Christians? Are you living in such a way that you're a bold witness that we have on the wall there? We say that, that that's one of our values, is that we want to live boldly for Christ. We can stand as a bold witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as one stands, more stand. Paul's boldness brings about courage to other people. And we need to live with that same kind of bold witness believers. We need to stand as a church and be a bold witness for what's true and what's right and for the gospel. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, you know what? It's true. <laughs> Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Yeah, I've heard about those guys. These guys that are trying to get me, they're going, oh, he's in prison now. Let's get him. But others are preaching out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, he says. And listen to this next phrase. Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But you know what? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or pure, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. I've got a lot of joy here while I'm sitting with these guys, these prisoners. He says, you know what? Some people, they're preaching from goodwill. Others, they're preaching for their own reputations. They're preaching to make a name for themselves. They look at Paul and his ministry and the success of his ministry and what he did, and they're like, well, I want that. I want, I, want, I want what Paul has. This phrase, I'm put here, 
again, Paul's going to write a lot of military terms in this letter because what is Philippi? It's a retired army or colony of soldiers. He says, I've been put here. In other words, this is my military assignment. These are my military orders. Paul realizes that, you know what? The Jews didn't put me here. The Romans didn't put me here. God put me here for this very purpose, for this time, for a time such as this. God has his sovereign hand on, on me. He's put me in these chains. He's brought me to the place that my heart desired, not the way that I wanted to. He brought me here as a powerful witness. I am influencing the city for Christ. There's a beautiful prayer in Acts 4.29, and I think it's a prayer that we should be familiar with. I think it's a prayer that, that maybe we need to pray in our own culture. And uh, it says this in Acts 4.28. People were out to try to get the Christians in the early church. And he said, and, and says this, they did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. And this is, they're praying. Now, Lord, Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? That should be our prayer. When you feel like your faith is under attack, go to Acts 4, 28 and 20 through 30. Make this your prayer, folks. Paul's response to those that would stir up trouble, you know, he's like, you know what, I'm aware that there are people who are out there preaching with false motives. You know what, the church today, we kind of, sometimes we look at and sort of poke fun at preachers, big popular preachers today, I won't name any, um, but their teeth are pretty white, and, uh, ooh, did I just say that? I won't name it. I'm not going to go that farther. No southern accent. You know, and they, but, but look at this. They, you know, maybe we don't know what their hearts are. We don't know what they're preaching from. We think their message might be a little bit off, but there are people who are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word is being preached. Yes, God does cause some people to prosper. They're probably missing the suffering part of the gospel, but People are coming to faith in Christ. And so Paul's like, you know what? These people, these guys that are pre preaching from false motives, they'd really like to agitate me. But they're looking at me and they're thinking, you know what? I should feel some resentment while they're moving around, adding to their reputations. But I know their preaching um, is, is motivated by envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. But you know what? What does it matter? Christ is being preached. And what's happening to me here? Christ is being preached. And so I can rejoice. The gospel is unchained. And it's advancing. Paul's, it's happening. One illustration here. John, John Bunyan. Remember John, you've heard of John Bunyan, right? 
Everybody, has anybody, no, no, I won't make anybody who hasn't heard of John Bunyan raise their hand. Okay. Oh. Yeah. It's his brother. So. John Bunyan is a, is a preacher, and he's popular, and he's powerful. And he was so unacceptable to the leaders in the 17th century Church of England. They hated him. And so they put John Bunyan in jail in order to silence him. Well, you know, you know John Bunyan. I need to get this straight. He refused to be silent, right? He begins to preach in the jail courtyard. People start showing up. Large audiences are showing up to hear John Bunyan preach the gospel. Hundreds of people are coming from Bedford and surrounding area to listen to him preach and to expound on the scriptures because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so his detractor said, you know what? This isn't going to work. Let's stick him down in the deepest hole and let's not let him come out for daylight. We'll just stick him down there. Well, little do they know that um, that's not going to really stop John Bunyan. In fact, his greatest influence came in that time in that prison cell. You know what he wrote during that time? Pilgrim's Progress. He wasn't going to let his circumstances stop him. And at one point, Pilgrim's Progress is like the, the most read book next to the Bible the most translated book in all the world next to the scriptures. So here's John Bunyan having an influence and advance for the gospel way beyond his time. In fact, probably some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress in either short form or long form to your children. Still having an influence today. <laughs> and so... John would say, you know what? Don't worry about me in jail. It's served to advance the gospel. I'd like to end this morning with this question. What are the chains that you're facing? Or what are the chains that you find yourself in? Or maybe another question, another way to think about it is this. Who are you chained to? Now, are your chains an opportunity for the gospel to be unchained? Think about it this way. Maybe it's a college roommate, right? Maybe you're chained to this person. You're like, wow, I don't really like this person, but, you know, I'm kind of here. I'm stuck here in this room four feet away from this college roommate. Have you ever thought to change the question from why me to, God, what do you want to accomplish? Why did you put me in this situation? Maybe you're in a cubicle <laughs> at the office and you're sitting next to a person that you're just like, oh my goodness, really? Do I have to talk to this person again? Oh, I don't like these people at the office. Maybe that's your opportunity to share Christ. Maybe it's your kids some days. You're like, why am I stuck here at home as a stay-at-home mom? I'd really like to be out working in the world and doing this thing or doing that thing. You know, why did I make this decision to actually be with my kids at home? And Did I say that? No, I love my kids. Um, but maybe that's your opportunity. Though That's your opportunity of influence right now at this time in your life. 
to have an influence for the gospel, to advance the gospel in the world today. You know, the thing that overwhelms me about this text, and even the text before that that Gus preached last week, is, is Paul's heart. Do you see his heart? Do you see the focus of his life? Paul's not focused on, on why. Paul is focused on what? Paul's eyes are fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, Paul thinks eternally more than anybody that I can think about, that I can even think of. It's the eternal focus that drives Paul every day. It drives him to go to work. It drives him to be with his family. It drives him to at school. Do we have that same kind of focus? That same kind of passion, white hot passion for the gospel? You know, I think maybe the test for you is this. When hard things happen, you're going to find out what you're made of. You're going to find out what's in this heart of yours. I um, had the privilege and the opportunity. Last week, um, most of you know this already, that was my father-in-law that was playing the piano last week. And I had the privilege to, to watch this man and this family, Karen's family, live this text out. Here's a woman, Jackie, who's, gosh, ALS is a rough disease. It's really rough. It, it might be one of the worst ways to die, if you, if you can think about it. Because ALS starts as just a, it started in her hand. And before long, three years later, you find yourself where the last thing you can do is barely breathe and you're struggling to, to take your last breath. It's wicked, it's awful, it's horrible. But during that, that time, Jackie's in this bed and chained to these nurses, right? Chained to these nurses that would come in and take care of her, right? And so these nurses would come into her home. They would minister to her. Leonard would be there ministering to his wife. And you couldn't help but listen to the conversations. You couldn't help but watch the family gather there and pray, sing hymns, read scripture, and, and ultimately, what happened out of something that's really horrible, suffering, we saw the purpose of, of God's purpose in the midst of that suffering when a lady named Mary Ide, one of the nurses, gave her life to Christ. And I don't even know what Mary's doing today. I know that she became part of the church that Leonard was pastoring after he married his second wife. She was a part of that church. This influence of the gospel is, was continuing and it happened in the midst of circumstances where they could have said, wise me, pity me, what is going on here? But we saw in the midst of adversity what this family's made of. Now we see it all the time, even with no, no suffering, no adversity. To talk to you know, Leonard, you'd be like, wow, this guy loves the Lord. And, and his whole purpose is to proclaim Christ. What would happen this body of Christ, all of us together, 
had that kind of response? What if, we, what if all of us took Paul's heart, and I believe that it's happening here, folks. I believe that God is doing stuff in you as Christians. God is at work in you. He's testifying. He's using this church as a witness to the gospel. Even in the midst of, of the changes that are coming, the things that we're going to celebrate today, God is in the midst of that, and he's going to work those things for the good. What would it look like for us to be a bold witness, to respond in such a way that, that we declare Christ and that our sole purpose in life was to advance the gospel? I think you'd wake up differently every morning. I think when you woke up in the morning, this is what you'd do. You'd be going, okay, God, what do you have for me today? I think some of you ask God that question, seriously. You'd be asking yourself the question, okay, God, what kind of divine appointments do you have for me today? I can tell you in my own life that there are times, if you look through my journal and when I write, you'll see that question. But then there are a lot of times where I'm doing a lot of navel-gazing. I'm just wasting my time looking at my own belly button and not accomplishing anything for God. What would it be like to wake up every day and say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? How can I further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? That is the question that we should be asking ourselves. Now, if you're here today and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, who's, who's this Jesus? Let's just start right there. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ saved me from my sin. It's not about my own works of righteousness that I've done. It's by the mercy of God that God came after me. God showed up in my basement as a five-year-old. And, and he was after my heart saying, dude, I want you to be a part of my family. I didn't even say it quite like that. But he pursued me. He saved me for a purpose. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where it begins. It begins in humility. It begins on your knees. It begins with saying, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I need you in my life. I'm a filthy, no good, rotten sinner. That's where it begins. That's part of the gospel that he's talking about here. This gospel isn't just that God's a nice, love. he is nice and loving. But he also is convicting he convicts us of our sin through the Spirit, and He saves us from our sin by His mercy that He demonstrated us at the cross. And He died for you. He died so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be born again, so that you could live in a relationship with Him. How do we live in that relationship? We receive it by faith, by grace. And if you're here this morning, and you're still trying to do it yourself, and you're still trying to think, man, I'm a good person, I'm going to make it into eternity on my own merit, you're wrong. You will die in your sins, and you will spend an eternity apart from God in hell. And so it's time to get serious about the gospel. It's time to decide if what Jesus said is really true. Is what he said true? That I'm the way and the truth and the life? Or is it what culture says? That it doesn't matter that there's a lot of ways to God. 
What are you going to believe, church? What are you going to believe if you're sitting here and you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you going to believe this morning? We need to get on our knees and humble ourselves before God. Say, God, I need you to save me by your mercy. Jesus, I believe that you're the only way. You're the truth. You're the life. There's no one except you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul was preaching. Not by works of righteousness, he would say. He wrote it. But according to his mercy, he saves us. And I promise you, when you get on your knees and you ask God, God will come in. He will save you because he loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he wants you to be a part of his family. What are you going to decide? What are you going to do with the gospel? Today is the day. Today is the moment of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate, God. I care about this. This matters, Lord. This is the only thing that matters in life, God, is that this, that this gospel, that this kingdom of God advances, Lord. Father, help us to, to grab hold of the passion that Paul has, God, in this text. Would we believe it, God, like Paul does? And would we look at our circumstances, God, in our life and say, wow, this is, God's using this. He's using this to save people like Mary Eyed. He's using this so that the whole of Rome can be influenced for the gospel. Help us, God, to have that same eternal perspective, God, that same passion, Lord, for you, that same desire in our hearts, God. God, without you, Lord, we're nothing. And so, God, would you work in our hearts right now, God, through your Holy Spirit, God. Speak to us, God, as we worship, as we pray. Father, we pray that you would just work in a powerful way, God, even right now in our midst, Lord. Lord, we pray the Acts, the Acts 4.29 prayer. Um, now, Lord, consider the threat. Enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, God. Heal the nation. God, be with our president. Help him, God, as he's attacked all the time. Heal our nation. Perform miraculous signs and wonders, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this, God. Would you move, God, in our midst? And would you move through us, God, your witnesses, your bold witnesses for the kingdom? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.